0: I'm going to go ahead and pray, and then we'll get started with the Christmas sermon. Uh, Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you that you love us. Thank you that you're for us. Thank you that you see us. And thank you, Jesus, that at Christmas we celebrate that you came for us. And so this morning, I pray that you um, would minister to us. I pray that we would encounter your great love for us as people, um, that you didn't... um, you didn't leave us on our own, but you came for us. and That's what we celebrate at Christmas. And so would we experience you this morning, meeting us in whatever it is that we're going through, knowing that you care and that you're here. And it's in your name that we pray, Jesus. Amen. Well, good morning. Um, again, my name's Andy. i one of the pastors here at Restored. And this morning, I just kind of want to talk about why the Christmas story matters, which spoiler alert, it's Christmas. We're talking Christmas today. And to do that, I want to start in kind of a unique place in the Bible, and that's Matthew chapter 1, verses 1 through 7. We're not going to read all of them, but it says, an account of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. From Abraham to David. This is going to be a really exciting intro. Abraham fathered Isaac. Isaac fathered Jacob. Jacob fathered Judah and his brothers. Judah fathered Perez and Zerah by Tamar. Perez fathered Hezron. Hezron fathered Aram. Aram fathered Aminidab. Aminidab fathered Nashon. Nashon fathered uh, Salmon, which looks like salmon. Uh, Salmon fathered Boaz by Rahab. Boaz fathered Obed by Ruth. Obed fathered Jesse and Jesse fathered King David. Jump down to verse 17. So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations, and from David until the exile to Babylon, 14 generations, and from the exile to Babylon until the Messiah, 14 generations. The birth of Jesus Christ came about this way. After his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, it was discovered before they came together that she was pregnant from the Holy Spirit. So her husband Joseph, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her publicly, decided to divorce her secretly. However, later Luke 2 tells us, Luke 2, 4-7 says, Joseph went up from the town of Naz- Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house of the family line of David to be registered along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was pregnant. While they were there, the time came for her to give birth. Then she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped them tightly in cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And so a couple of key ideas about the Christmas story. The first one is this, and it's this idea of the genealogy and backstory and relational familial context of Christmas. And it's this the Christmas story reminds us that Jesus came into a real world with real people. He came into a real world with real people. I know you guys were like, I'm hoping Andy's gonna get to that genealogy this morning. I love the details, I love the nitty-gritty the DMV files of the Bible. But here's the, th- here's the reality is that a lot of us, uh, here's why the genealogy is important. A lot of us don't really believe the Christmas story happens. We can view it as a, as a story, kind of like a fairy tale, but not a historical reality. But this passage gives good evidence that it actually happens. Some of us think, um, again, Christianity is kind of made up by con artists trying to trick people trying to get like a new religion off the ground so they could control people's minds and their wallets and their bodies and all this stuff. But the way Matthew begins his perspective on the story of Jesus, he makes it hard for us to actually think that that's what's going on. It's because who he includes in the genealogy. You see, the genealogy of Jesus Christ, um, it's, it's rooting the story in history not something that someone made up. And on top of that, the genealogy is in some ways impressive, but in other ways, it's very unimpressive. Again, if you were trying to make up a story to tell first century Jews, which is what got this thing off the ground, you would need to include something prestigious. And yes, King David is in there. That's very prestigious. But there's also quite a few other people that would not normally be included in lines. For example, people that sinned in wild ways did really shady, wild things. If you wonder, can God love me because I come from a dysfunctional family or I'm in a dysfunctional family, Jesus' family was real dysfunctional. If you read some of the stories of the people listed in the genealogy, they are far from impressive. And again, back in the day, genealogies in a uh, patrilineal society, that was like your resume. Like, here's my bloodline. Here's where I come from. Um, and so you wouldn't include the people that did shady stuff. If it was at all possible, you'd kind of, right, you'd, you'd delete that off your Wikipedia page, essentially. Like, remember, remember Shechem got a little wild and call it, let's just keep that off the, the record. It's going to make me look bad. Um, but, but, but they don't do that here. They include some scandalous people. Uh, in, in addition to that, women are included in the lineage of Jesus, And by the way, this was written into a first century ancient Near East context where women were not respected. Women were not viewed as equals. Women were not allowed to testify in court and have it be believed. The exception might be a woman of higher social status testifying against a man of lower social status, but she'd still need like a male cosigner. And... The writers of Scripture include women over and over and over again, including a Gentile woman at a time that was was very. um, There was was a huge ethnic um, kind of racial uh, division in that part of the world at that time. And so, uh, I just want you to think for a second. If you were trying to scam everyone into buying into what you were doing, would you include would you include people that weren't impressive at the time? And the answer is no. The only reason to include these people is because this is what the truth is. There's no advantage to including some of these people in this context. If anything, it would hurt the case for Jesus being the Messiah. And the reality is is that Jesus came into a real world full, full of real people. Now, not just real people in the genealogy, but real people like the men and women sitting in these chairs in this room. Real people like the man speaking into this microphone right now. Which leads to the second reason why the Christmas story is important is the Christmas story reminds us that we are real people in need of real rescue. In Matthew 121, the author of Scripture says that uh, it's prophesied that Jesus will save his people from their sins. Now, that can sound pretty um, offensive in our culture today, right? Like how many guys like talking about sin? you like, you walk up and people go, man, you're a sinner. I'm a sinner, you're a sinner, right? Like it feels like an old-fashioned word, feels like kind of a religious fundamentalist word. And in that way, it's kind of offensive because it's saying something is wrong with me. Now, Christmas, Christmas is kind of a unique time because of all the gift-giving. And gifts are tricky, right? Now, um, I don't know, have you ever gotten a gift? Have you ever given someone a very cheap gift and you received an expensive gift from them? You felt kind of awkward? Or you, you went all out on someone and you got like a used Starbucks card, had like 385 on it remember Jackie one time, we, we led a college, uh, we led a young adult ministry in the Los Angeles area, uh, North Los Angeles. and I remember we led a young adult ministry, but essentially it was a glorified high school group. So there's some real immature peeps. And I'll just never forget, Jackie opens up a beautifully wrapped bag to find a single dangling hot dog. Cold hot dog. Doesn't get much worse. Probably wasn't like a wasn't like a Hebrew National name brand situation. just a dirty hot dog, right? Like that, gift you didn't need. But some gifts, not only do you not need them, not only do they make you feel awkward, um, like they're offensive. Uh, I once had a family member tell me, man, oh man, I saw some really good weight loss stuff. I think you'd love, right? Get you a subscription going. Um, uh, some of you mom and dads, you may have had friends like I've got a really good book on how to discipline your kids that I really think you should read. Some of you guys are single. Your parents are like, man, I had a friend, I had a, a gal, she was single, and her um, her dad bought her a book called How to Get a Date Worth Keeping for Christmas. Maybe so uh, we can go on and on, right? Like gym membership, teeth whitener, you're like, that's kind of offensive. Um, the gift of Jesus can feel offensive in that same way because it says that we need something. It says that we lack something. It says something isn't as it should be. And if you look at the world around us, the world is not as it should be and everyone has a thought around why it is that way, but ne- very few of us want to look at ourselves. There was a famous, uh, famous professor, writer, a man named G.K. Chesterton, G- G. Chesterton uh, and he lived in England in like the 1800s, and, uh, and uh, the Times of London sent out a, a question that essentially asked, what is wrong with the world? And G.K. Chesterton responded and said, sir, I am. He's actually a pretty self-aware guy, now, you might be going, man, Giga Chesterton, you put, put a lot of pressure on yourself. Again, that's a collective reality that you and I have not been the people we were designed to be. And so we're, we're not living the life that we, we could and should be living. We're not living the life as it should be experienced. But that can feel really, really offensive, right? We want to avoid that feeling. Because to go, we need this baby. This baby's come to save us from our sins. That's only good news if we believe we have sin. A doctor offering a cure to something is only helpful if you actually have that condition. I was in the hospital on Friday. I had a, a bunch of pain uh, in my, my lower right stomach. And I call up like the nurse line. I'm like, the last thing I want to do is be in the emergency room December 22nd. Like, I want to spend time with my family. Maria's out from India. We're getting some time. And, um, and I call and I'm like, is there any? And, and they go, man, you know, it could be appendicitis. And I go, but it's not, and I'm doing everything I can to, to be honest. Cause I want help if I need it, but I really don't want to go in. So there, she's like one to 10. I'm like five, like a solid five. It's consistent. It feels weird. All stuff. And, and long story short, I go there, we do a cat scan, we do all that stuff. And at the end of it, they just go, ah, oh, the, the doctor goes, Hey man, um, to be honest, you're a little, it looks a little inflamed, uh, not enough to remove it. He said, if it was 1981, we would have taken it out. But now with the CAT scan, we can see, like, you probably want to give it a little more time, right? Again, having your appendix out only helpful if you have appendicitis. And in the same way, uh, 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 Jesus coming to save us from our sins only makes sense if we have sin. But we do everything we can to avoid that reality, to avoid that there's something wrong with us or something that needs changing. So often we can believe sin is stuff other people do, stuff bad people do. And one of the ways that we avoid feeling that reality is we compare ourselves to other people. One of the fastest ways to feel better about yourself. You're like, why are people so mean? Why is social media so toxic? And the reason is it's the easiest like schoolyard way to feel better about yourself. If I pull you down, I'm equal. Maybe I'm above you, right? And, And again, no one else, I know only I do this as a pastor. The rest of you guys never do this. But I can imagine, I've been in cars with people. Again, I, don't do, I actually don't do any of this. Um, but I've been in cars with people, right? I don't know if you've seen this. And it's like anyone that drives faster than you is a maniac. They're a serial killer on wheels. Look at them, right? Anyone that drives slower than you, total moron, right? Why are you even on the road? We do it with fashion. You go to a nice event without a clear dress code. You watch people walk in. You make calls about how you feel about what they're wearing. Some people do. Again, not me. Some when they come in, it looks a little over. You're like, who are they trying to impress? Is it a fashion show? Is this, what are we doing right now? People walk in under, you're like, well, what a slob. Are you kidding me? Sweatpants, like that's a $5,000 streetwear suit. You're like, fine. I don't even know the rules anymore. I don't know the rules anymore. Dude, with talking, personality, someone talks a lot. You're like, dude, it's, oh, hanging out with them is so draining. It's like, tell me more about you. I don't want to do it anymore. There's other people like they're so quiet and awkward. I feel pressure when I sit with them to say something, right? We do it. Other people gossip. You just vent. <laughs> Here's some nervous laughter, right? Other people get angry. I just get frustrated, right? Other people's kids are bad. Mine just have a lot of complex stuff going on in their lives right? Um, Psychologists call this a fundamental attribution error, which is when you assume the worst about other people, but you always cut yourself slack. You're like, I get why I'm late. They're late because they don't respect people. I'm late because there's a lot going on at my house. And so here's the thing. God cuts through our excuses and comparisons. He goes, you know what? If you want to know if you're good, he says, don't compare yourself to your friends or to your worst neighbors. Compare yourself to Jesus, who is love incarnate. And he comes and he does something beautiful. You see, sin in the Bible is not just doing good things or bad things. It's, it's, it's building your life or centering your life on something other than the only thing that can sustain that kind of weight. And the Bible says that that is God himself. And so uh, one of the things that we celebrate at Christmas or we, we think about, we talk about, we see it in nativity s- scenes and stuff like that, um, is the three kings offering up their gifts to King Jesus. And they're worshiping. And there's, there's frankincense, I don't even, I don't, frankincense, myrrh, and another one. Gold, yeah, gold. That's a good, that's a good one. It's probably the best one, if you ask me. And we can think about that, and go, it's kind of like an irrelevant, whatever, what's the story? No, here's the reality. We all worship something. You might not view yourself as religious or spiritual, but you think something's worth yelling about. You think something's worth singing about. You think something's worth jumping up and down about. You think something's worth giving your money towards and your times towards and your energy for and your affection to. There's a philosophy professor named J.K.A. Smith and he says, everyone worships something. That's not the issue. It's just what and how. We're all willing to sacrifice for something. You know, man, these religious fanatics are so into God and church, it's so weird. That's you with politics. That's you with your sport, that's you with your, not even a real sports team, your fantasy football team, right? That's you with, like, how your selfie's going, and you spent two hours, right? Like, like, like there's so many things we give ourselves to that don't satisfy. You see, the beauty of the kings, like, they're, they're, they're offering themselves up to someone who can actually give them what they need. You see, God, um, he designed us to experience life and life abundance. There's this uh, another idea that, that, that God is like a cosmic killjoy. Like, he doesn't want anyone to have fun. Uh, he invented this, put us in this world and goes, don't enjoy anything and then die. That's religion. And, 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 and the storyline of the scriptures, you look at the Hebrew scriptures into the Christian story, and you don't see this picture of God, actually. Matter of fact, um, uh, almost every creation story from the ancient Near East, which is the Bible's creation story is from the ancient Near East, has stories where humanity is created out of anger or in the middle of a war between the gods. Like literally, I, I threw a mountain, it exploded, like some babies came out. And they're like, I guess there's humans now. Or even worse, the deities create humanity to serve, a lot of ancient Babylonian to serve them, right? Like they created them because they wanted like little slaves, little servants, And the Bible says that humanity is made, the Bible storyline is completely different. It says God creates them just because he wants to, out of joy and out of love and out of a desire to share his joy and love with them. And it it says that he creates them in his image, male and female, he created them, men and women in a culture that didn't value women. He says women are made in the image of God, which means you, you must respect them and care for them. Men are made in the image of God. And then he gives them a place, you know, we often think of it as the Garden of Eden, but it's this space called Eden, which in Hebrew means delight or wholeness. And he builds a, be- not, he, not only does he, he build us, uh, create us as people worthy of dignity and respect, he then gives us a world to enjoy and to co-create something beautiful with him. Again, think about the world we live in. He, he could have made it way more functional made it a lot less fun. He could have made it a lot more barren and a lot less beautiful. There are so many gifts God gives us. I mean, just think about beauty in and of itself. The world, the earth we live in could look like Mars, which I know it's kind of cool, like we could colonize Mars, like it's ugly, all right? But the earth, there's moments, there's, there's breathtaking moments. I spent time in Cape Town, South Africa a few years ago, and I remember just seeing the mountains alongside the ocean. And literally, I'm not even, I'm like not a nature guy. I'm not an outdoorsman. One author described himself as an avid indoorsman. I'm like, that's me. Like books, meals, you know, drinks, laughs, screens from time to time, music. Uh, And I just instantly teared up when I saw the beauty in front of me. Um, I remember Jackie and I, uh, we were in Rome a few years ago and just seeing man-made beauty. And I'm like, well, this is insane what humans are able to create. I mean, just, just beauty in general, human beauty, right? Like we could look like owls. Like, man, I got to find an owl to marry. <laughs> it's not great. Even if you're an owl, like it's just, it's not great. I think about th- food and drink and the pleasure connected to that activity that God gives us. Again, it could just be, again, I had an IV in for a second for that CAT scan on Friday or uh, um, the CT scan. And, and, and it's like, this could be how we all eat all the time and God created a world full of flavor and texture. Uh, We had some dear friends who are with us today who took Jackie and I to a really nice French restaurant this week. And we had a remarkable meal and a a, a great glass of wine. And it says that when Jesus returns, there'll be a banquet feast with the choicest of wines and meats when heaven comes to earth. (laughs) He gives us so much to enjoy. Music, right? Like music is such a gift. We're commanded to sing. So I was like, man, why do we sing at church? It's like, man, whenever we enjoy something, one of the most natural ways to fully experience it is through music. It's one of the most naturally transcendent things. And so God is not a hater of pleasure or joy. He's our joy advocate. And we took those gifts and we made those gifts God. Instead of enjoying them as they should be enjoyed, we turned them into gods, the Bible says. And we began worshiping them and then it led to what the scriptures call death, that sin leads to death. And in death, you might just be thinking physical death. And physical death is a reality, but it's not just physical death that the authors of scriptures talk about. Death, death is the opposite of Eden, the opposite of wholeness, the opposite of joy, of completeness. There's emotional death. There are wounds and pains we experience in this life. There is psychological death. So many of us have a distorted view of who we are. Again, when you compare our society to the rest of human history and most of the world today, this is one of the most privileged times ever to be alive. And if you live, if you live in the West today, you have access to more ease and comfort. Even if, if you're lower middle class, you have more things than most royalty had back in the day. If you have a smartphone in your hand, you have hundreds of servants back in the day, like, like convenience, washing machines, air conditioning, on and on it goes. We have, we have access. It, it, it's it, Even as scary as stuff can feel, it's one of the most peaceful times in the history of the earth. Yet mental health is off the charts. You know, since we've been measuring it, it's like the worst it's ever been. Isn't that crazy? We have need. We need rescue. There's relational deaths. So many of us Holidays are complicated because they remind us of what's broken in our families. And we're aware of stuff that we don't think about often. There's spiritual death where we're alienated from God we have no idea why we're here. There's existential crisis. There's all this stuff swirling around in our hearts and in our mind and in our world. And in the midst of all of that, this baby comes in. And he comes to save us. He comes to rescue us. He comes to change everything that is broken about this world. And one day he completely will, but he starts the job by being born in a manger to a teen mom in a poor backwoods area. And he humbly enters human history. And in the face of psychological death and physical death and spiritual death and societal death and environmental death and on and on it goes, he brings life and he offers a life and he offers life abundance. But he didn't just stay a baby. He then grows up to live the life that you and I could never live perfectly in our place. He models for us what it looks like to live, to live a life of Eden, even in a broken world. One day he'll return to make everything new, but it starts with us. It starts here and now. It starts with Jesus coming as this baby and he invites us back into relationship with God. If, humanity was, if humanity's relationship with God was fractured through our sin, we're brought back together through the work of Jesus who came to save us from our sins. To end the alienation that we feel in our hearts. Which leads to my last point. The Christmas story reminds us not only that there's a rescue available to us, but the Christmas story reminds us of the real hope that is available to us in Jesus. You see, at this time of the year, uh, the Christian church uh, all throughout the world celebrates something called Advent. And Advent just means arrival. Jesus' first arrival came after people had been waiting and waiting and waiting for a Messiah. And if the last few years have taught us anything, and if the way that people have given themselves to politics lately have, have taught us anything, it's that we're waiting for a Messiah too. We're waiting for a hope. We're waiting for Jesus' second coming. And so Christmas is all about expectancy. We live with an expectation that Jesus is going to come again and right every wrong. That's what the Christian story believes. Um, as a kid, I don't know if you had this experience, and all of us did, but many of us, we grew up um, getting, maybe getting some Christmas presents on Christmas. And if that was any part of your story, then you know that one of the hardest nights of the year to sleep is tonight, Christmas Eve. It's coming. It's coming in the morning. I remember Jackie and I uh, a few years back, we, um, this actually doesn't sound like the coolest present now, but we got our we got our sons a bed. Uh, now, real clear, it was a handmade bed made by a guy who works for the Moniker Construction Group, like the some of the beautiful stuff build outs you see around town, um, helped build the Lafayette and stuff. He built this, uh, helped build this bunk bed, had a rock climbing wall on the side. You know, forget the ladder. It, it was cool. It was fun. And, um, and I just remember we, we, they brought over and we were piecing it together and they didn't know what we were doing. They didn't know they could hear us doing something. There was anticipation. They knew something good was coming. They weren't exactly sure what it was going to be, what it was, how it was going to feel, you know, how they were going to experience it. But they had this sense something good. We can hear it, but we can't see it. And the reality is right now is that if you enter into a relationship with Jesus, you can experience a level of hope. You don't know exactly how it's going to work out, but you know that it will work out. You don't know how Jesus is going to speak into all the problems you may have in this moment, but you know one day he will deal with them. And the scriptures towards the end of them, they give us this picture in Revelation 21, 1 to 5. It says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband's. And then, verse five, he who was seated on the throne, who is Jesus, said this Behold, I am making all things new. And so, in the Christmas story, we can now excitedly await the hope we have in this King Jesus, no matter how hard it gets on this earth. When tragedy hits, when we lose a job, when we lose a loved one, when we give in to that same stupid temptation that makes our life not be what it should be, Christmas reminds us. That Jesus broke into our, he he stepped into our broken world before, and he's going to do it again, and he's going to take all the former things and put them away forever. Don't you love that? Death, mourning, sadness gets referred to as a former thing. Because right now it's such a present thing. But one day we'll get to say, oh, that's a former thing. It's a confident assurance that Jesus is preparing and making everything new. And again, we're waiting and waiting and it's hard to, you know, sometimes you're like, man, would you just do it already? Can I see the present? But one day he will deal with all of it. And we can experience a world with a total absence of fear, pain, suffering, loneliness, anxiety, is replaced by a world full of joy, peace, love, satisfaction, and intimacy. And we're truly known and truly loved. That's the good news of Christmas. It's Jesus coming to make all things new today and in this new year. And I just want to ask, will you let him make you new? Jesus, thank you for entering into our stories, into human history. The storyline of the scriptures isn't a God who creates us out of spite or anger, or in a desire to control us. But you're a God who creates us out of love and joy, who longs for us to experience love and joy. And like foolish children, we often think we know the best way to use something even though we know nothing about it. We take your good gifts, gifts like work or family or sex or money or power or creativity, and we make those things our gods. We, we give them more power than they should have, and they never f- satisfy fully like you can. And so Lord, would you teach us how to offer you our gifts and enjoy your gifts in the way that you created them. But it starts by being restored back into relationship with you. And Jesus, thank you that you came to restore that very relationship. As a baby who became a man, who died on a cross, who rose again in victory, who will one day make all things new. And I just want to pray for our church and for our friends here, together with us, or the families of members of our church today, I just ask that we get a small taste of that newness, that newness would break in slowly but surely into our lives as we experience life as it's meant to be in relationship with you. In Jesus'
1: name. You got him. Thanks, Andy. Hi guys. Um, my name's Adam. I'm uh yeah, one of the elders pastors here. Um I've been I recently uh read this book called uh Digital Liturgies. And uh by the word liturgy, you're probably like, This is like some nerdy pastor theology book. Um it's actually really good. Um but one of the things he talks about is Um, We live in this this age of um, You got to be yourself. You have to be the most authentic you the most that's the most important thing Um, And that imitation is seen as like it's vilified like but actually what the Bible says is that um, We're to be imitators of God Um, Ephesians 5 says um, Therefore be imitators of Christ um, and offer yourselves as sacrifices as he's did for us so this morning as we do communion Um, We take it in remembrance of God, um, remembrance of the sacrifice, the life he lived, um, so that we can be reminded why we can love, why we can serve and sacrifice for others. Um, So let's, um, you can grab your community element. And normally we do it uh, in groups, but today we're going to do it corporately. So um, let me pray for us and then um, we can take them together. Jesus, yeah, right now we pause um, and just reflect on you. Um, I think it's easy to get caught in the busyness of the holidays, of Christmas. um, There's a lot of good things, but yeah, it's really easy easy to forget the reason why we can celebrate. Um, We can celebrate because you came to serve us. You came to live a life that we could never live, um, and that you'd be obedient to take our sins to the cross. um, Because of your resurrection, we have eternity in you. God, yeah, so right now, um, we take these things and just remember you, God. Um, Yeah, we love you. In your name we pray, amen.